So today we're, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 8. We're taking a pause from the, the book of Exodus just because the section we would be in in Exodus is a repeat of what we saw earlier. You know, as, as God gives Moses the direction on the mountain of how to build the tabernacle, how to do everything with the priests and the high priests, their clothing, the ceremony for which they'll be, be ordained essentially for ministry, it repeats then as they actually do it. And so instead of repeating it, what I thought we would do is look at the book of Hebrews because Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 really are, are kind of, a, not kind of, they are about how Jesus fulfills what's happening in the book of Exodus, essentially. So, you know, as the, as the first covenant is, is being given on Sinai, it's looking forward to something that's going to come after. And, and Jesus' words that Bruce read today that we'll look at again in Matthew, you know, as he talks about the covenant that's going to be made through his blood, this is this new covenant that's coming. So the book of Hebrews does is it kind of takes both those two things and brings them together and explains how the old covenant is, is passing away, giving birth to something new in Jesus. And so we're going to look at this today. This is Hebrews chapter 8. Now, this discussion, the problem, the reason I don't do this normally is picking up in the middle of a book is hard because we lose some of the context. This discussion has been happening for a while in the book of Hebrews about, about Jesus as high priest. And so we pick it up in 8, but if you, want, if you go back many chapters before, the conversation's already begun. The author of the book of Hebrews, who we're not sure who he or she is, has discussed the fact that Jesus is, is our high priest. And we'll, we'll actually end with that in, in Hebrews chapter 4. So as we pick up here, we're picking up in the middle of the story, which is always hard to do. It's the reason I try to avoid this most of the time, but we can't just do the whole book of Hebrews in the middle of, of Exodus. So says this, now the main point of what we are saying is this, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So we're already getting this idea that the tabernacle that we've all just been discussing, that, that God gives Moses the design for on the mountain, wasn't designed to be forever, that it was a pattern, it was a it was a hint at what was to come, right? We see that right here by, in the book of Hebrews. And it's going to develop this thought, by the way, here in just a second. But the true tabernacle is, not, is one that is not by a, it's not being made by human beings. Now, the pattern was given to Moses by God, but who builds the tabernacle? The section we are in the book of Exodus, we know just human beings, like you and I are the ones that have to, have to get to work building the tabernacle. The true tabernacle is not one that can be built by human hands is what the author of the book of Hebrews is telling us, right? So we have such a high priest. That high priest, of course, is Jesus. So if you think about it, what we've been discussing for a while here in the book of Exodus has all, all been about building the tabernacle, which is a place for God to live and dwell with them, a place where they can meet him, the priests and the high priest. That's what we've spent a lot of time in the book of Exodus looking at. Again, we're re repeating it in the section we're supposed to be in right now. So we have a high priest. His name is Jesus, which is then going to mean we don't need the old style of high priest anymore. We have a new tabernacle, a true tabernacle. We don't need the old tabernacle anymore. And so the discussion we're going to have today is, was there something wrong with the old way or is it just something new? Some people like to say, well, see, the old stuff was flawed. It wasn't good. It wasn't right. I don't, I don't believe that because I believe God designed it. But God designed it knowing it was going to be temporary. 
God designed it knowing what he had in store, what he had planned. And we're going to see that here in just a few, in the next slide, actually. We'll, we'll, we'll jump into that discussion. The author continues, Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer, talking, of course, about Jesus. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. That's a quote from the book of Exodus that we just read not too long ago. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. The book of Hebrews, by the way, is designed, I think, for a Bible study. This is a hard book to preach because there's a lot in every chapter. So we're going to skim some stuff that we could really dive deep into, but it's Pollock Sunday, and I know you don't want to sit here that long. So, we're going to, so if you have questions when we're done, it's like, yeah, huh? Me too, right? You're going to have questions, because there's no way we can explain all this in 25 minutes, hopefully 25 minutes, if I don't keep talking too long. What we have, though, is we have the old system. We know the old system. We've just read it, right? We, knew, we reread how a high priest becomes the high priest how priests become priests, how the tabernacle is to be built. But the important part in this is verse 5. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. See, the, the, the tabernacle when it was built is a copy anyways. So it's not as if it's the original. Right? So when Moses receives that from God of how to build the tabernacle, and we've talked about that. I mean, every detail, right? From the rings the curtains are going to hang on to the, what the posts are going to go into. Every, every detail is given Moses. It's just a copy. It's just a shadow. It's never going to add up to what the original is. The original can't be, be built on earth. Right? So all those things are just pointing towards something greater and something bigger. And that's the important part in the book of Hebrews to understand is that the Old Covenant was designed to be temporary. It wasn't supposed to last forever. When we realize that, we go, oh, okay. And the language that will be used, we can go, oh, makes sense. There are some people who tend to lean towards the fact that, well, see, the Old Covenant was flawed. Well, the only reason the Old Covenant was flawed was because it worked with human beings who are flawed. It wasn't God's fault the Old Covenant was flawed. It was ours. The part that was going to fail the entire time in the Old Covenant, and God knew it before He made it, was the people. Anytime you enter into a covenant with a person, they will fail you at some point. If you're married, please don't nod along right now, right? You entered into a covenant, and it didn't take you long but to realize that your spouse has weird things that drive you crazy. You thought to yourself, huh, okay, well, this is fun. If you just need to know, for me, I walk around and I brush my teeth. I do not brush my teeth in the bathroom. Can't do it. I walk all over the house. It grosses some people out, I'm sure. So if we were married, you would not like that. You go, ah, I don't, you need to go in the bathroom. We all have weird habits. We all do, we're all flawed. None of us are perfect. The problem with the old covenant wasn't God. It was us. It was the fact that he entered into a covenant with people who were going to fail. We just read the story. It didn't take them long to fail, did it? And fail big. The golden calf incident, Moses is up on the mountain receiving all of the information and they're down there making an idol. And God just told them in those Ten Commandments, ten of them, not a lot, they can remember them, to not do that. And they literally do it because they get impatient. 
They, they were flawed. The old covenant was flawed from the beginning, not because there was anything wrong with the covenant, it's because it was wrong with the people who God made the covenant with. And so it was never going to be the end. It was a way to get to this moment in time and this moment in history. It was a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build a tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. God said, I want it exact because this is as close as you're going to be able to get to how I want it to be. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is, a, is as superior to theirs, the priests, as a covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. The better promises is, is, by the way, is you and I get out of the way and God does it all. That's the better promise. The only way for God to make this covenant work was he had to remove us from it, essentially. So, hey, you knuckleheads, step aside. Let me do the work. You get the reward and we'll go from there. Think about the new covenant. What is it? It's forgiveness of sins. And all you have to do to have that forgiveness of sins is what? It's believe. It's trust. It's have faith. God made the covenant work by taking you and I essentially out of it, right? We're a part of the new covenant, not because of how great we are, but because of how great Jesus is. That's how you make a covenant work, is you get rid of the part that's flawed, and that was us. Jesus, of course, is a mediator of this new covenant. Interesting to think about the fact that Jesus belongs, belongs to both sides of the covenant, doesn't he? By being both God and man, he's the only one who could be this mediator. He's the only one that could fill that role. Because he has a foot in both sides of the covenant, doesn't he? The covenant, remember, was between God and his people. The reason, and I don't want to spoil it, but we're going to get there, the reason that a couple of our Gospels, Matthew and Luke, begin with the genealogy of Jesus is why. What are they trying to teach us? What are they trying to show us? The humanity of Jesus. He's a man, but yet he's also God in the flesh. And he has to be, to be the mediator. No one else could do that job. It had to be him. We'll talk about that more as we get into our, the next series we're going to go on in, in the Gospels, but... He's the only one that can fill this role as a mediator. He's it. And now we have this quote from the Old Testament here that we're going to read in just a second from the book of Jeremiah. It says this, If there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, that answers our question right there, what was wrong with the first covenant? Yeah. If you don't know already, we tend to make a mess of things at times, don't we? Don't believe me, just turn the news on for about five minutes. You'll realize that, yep, mm-hmm, we're a hot mess. We're the problem. God's not the problem, it's us. The author of Hebrews is trying to tell us, though, that this was the plan all along, and doing so by quoting the book of Jeremiah. This is a quote from Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will... It, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. 
I will put my laws in their minds and, I, and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. I want to talk about this quote from the book of Jeremiah here. I want to read the full version. So if, you're, if you see a quote in the New Testament of, of the Old Testament, remember they as individuals don't have copies of the, of the Old Testament. Right? The, the Old Testament was kept in scrolls in a synagogue, and they didn't have so the only way that someone is able, the author is able to quote this is from what? It's from memory. Which, if you ever want to feel real ashamed about yourself, think about that. Read just the letter that Paul writes to one of the churches and see all the Old Testament quotes and realize that he's pulling that off of the top of his head. So when they quote, when the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament, it's not always word for word because they're trying to get the point across, right? So I want to read you Jeremiah 31, 31-34 in the NIV. It says this, "...the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel." And with the people of Judah. Sounds exactly alike, right? Verse 32. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. That's not in this version we're reading in Hebrews, right? One of those arguments that I've made throughout the book of of Exodus is that at the covenant, when the covenant's being made at Sinai, what's happening? It's a wedding. It's a marriage. One of the reasons I make that argument is this passage and the fact that there's a bunch of other evidence for it as well. But I'm going to read verse 32 for you again. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. How does God view himself in the covenant? As the husband. Right? That. The people are the bride. I made that argument to you months and months ago, however long it was, it's been a while now, that what's happening at Sinai is a wedding between God and his people. The reason that Jewish people in their weddings simulate a lot of what's going on at Sinai is because they believe that what's happening at Sinai is a wedding between God and his people. The book of Hosea is an example of that, by the way. If you ever read that prophet, of what he has to do is, is it is exactly what God is trying to get us to understand, that when we commit idolatry, what are we also committing? Adultery. We're cheating on God. That's why the golden calf incident is so heartbreaking when we read it. Is they're literally on the honeymoon and they're unfaithful. They're unfaithful. They chase after another God when they're literally on their honeymoon. The first covenant... The old covenant, if we want to refer to it as that, was flawed because of the people, not because of God. Because they were never going to be able to keep it. That's why this new covenant is so powerful. Is God sees the problem in the old and fixes it. He knew it before he ever started, by the way. By taking you and I out of it. That's why salvation has to be by grace alone. You cannot do enough good things to be saved. Because I don't want to be I don't want to like hurt your self-esteem or anything. 
but you're never going to do enough good things to rescue yourself from this problem of sin. God had to do the rescuing for us, didn't he? We were never going to be sufficient. We were never going to be enough all by ourselves. And I know that's hard to hear sometimes, but it's true. I, was, I, I cannot save myself. I can't do it. I'll never be good enough because I'm flawed. That's why the person of Jesus is so important. That's why he has to be our high priest because what does he do? He, he lives a perfect, sinless life and offers himself as the sacrifice once and for all to pay for the sins of everyone. The book of Hebrews is telling us that this new covenant is way better for us. And boy, is it. Bruce read it earlier. He's trying to spoil my sermon again. Communion people, you guys doing communion like to do that, don't you? We don't even plan it out, I promise. As Jesus is about to sacrifice himself, him and his disciples go into an upper room, don't they? You know the story. We hear it about every Sunday, right? They go in that room. If you put all the Gospels together, what happens at the very beginning? The disciples forget. One of the disciples forgets to take the place of a servant, right? And wash all their feet because they've been out walking on dusty, dirty roads all day long. And so Jesus does that for them. They sit down to eat the Passover meal, which is not a coincidence, right? We'll get into that when we get into our New Testament series because I promised you this wouldn't go long because it's Pollock Sunday. But they're celebrating the Passover meal. Celebrating what? Exodus. Liberation from being slaves. Not a coincidence that Jesus is going to have this speech in that moment, right? Because what does he tell them? While they were eating, Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus tells us in that moment that 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 blood is of this new covenant. That when he chooses to pour his life out on our behalf, something new is going on. The book of Acts tells us in Acts chapter 2 that what happens? After Jesus has gone to heaven, Holy Spirit comes on. What does this tell us here? This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. How does God write His law in our hearts? One way is the Holy Spirit. So see what's happening in, as we quote from, as the author is quoting from Jeremiah, what the author is trying to get us to understand is this was a part of the plan the entire time. This is what God had up his sleeve from the beginning. When the first covenant is being made, the old covenant, he's already planned what? He's already planned the new. He's already planned the new. 
By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. We don't need it anymore, not because it was wrong, not because it was bad. We don't need it anymore because something new, something better has come. And that new, better thing, of course, is Jesus. I'm going to close today by reading out of the book of Hebrews a little earlier in this section. Hebrews chapter 4, if you'd like to follow follow along. Hebrews 4, as the author is writing before we get to where we are here, tells us something about this, this Jesus. Tells us something important about this Jesus. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Boy, do we have a high priest. The author of the book of Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest who's in Like I said earlier, both sides of that covenant. Though he is perfect, he knows exactly what it's like to be, to live like you and I on planet earth. Though he was tempted, the author tells us, he never sinned. You and I don't get to claim that, by the way. That's not something you and I get to. If you didn't realize that, I'm sorry. I apologize if I burst that bubble of perfection. But you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we'll be. Remember, I was listening in Bible college to a sermon uh, where someone said, if you can get two things figured out in life, you're well on your way. One, there is a God. Two, you're not it. <laughs> if you can make those realizations in life, you are, you're moving in the right direction, right? There is a God and you aren't it. There are some people, by the way, who might need to be reminded of that from time to time. All of us can fall into that. We have a high priest. His name is Jesus. He made that offering once and for all. He paid the price in full. When his blood was spilled on that cross, there was no need to take that Passover lamb and slaughter it anymore, was there? He handled it once and for all. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, you have everything you'll ever need if you have Jesus. Everything else is just a cherry on top. If you don't have him in your life yet, please think long and hard about inviting him in. I will not promise you life will be easier because that's not true. But it will give purpose to everything that comes your way in life. Pain will never be in vain again. Because what you will find the longer you spend with this Jesus is he can take even the junk of our lives and turn it into something good if we let him. Even the times in which we think we are hurting the most. He will bring purpose to that pain.
I will not promise you that if you become a Christian, if you aren't one already, that life's going to be easy because that's just not true. But it will be worth it. And every bump, whether it's a bump or it's smooth sailing, as long as you have Him, you have everything you will ever need. Please invite Him in if you haven't already. Your life will never be the same. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the words we find in Hebrews chapter 8. Brings understanding to us, God, as we've spent time wrestling with the book of, of Exodus, understanding what you had in store for the people then as you rescued them from being slaves in Egypt. God, we realize that you have rescued us as well. Though we were never slaves in Egypt, we were slaves to sin and to death before we met you. God, we are so grateful that you saved us from those things. That with your single perfect sacrifice made on that cross, you have fixed all the problems we've made, all the messes we've created. You've emptied our closets of skeletons and started us anew, God. And we are so grateful for that. Father, we cannot thank you enough for sending your son to this earth to mediate on our behalf to bring about this new covenant of love, grace, mercy, and compassion. Or would you help us every day to show the world what it means to love you? Knowing that we're not perfect, that we're all flawed, that we're going to make mistakes, we're going to say the wrong thing from time to time. The world doesn't need us to be perfect. You already are. But it needs us to be faithful. Help us, God. Be faithful to you everywhere we go. We are grateful for all that you do for us every day. But we are most of all grateful for your son, Jesus. And it's in his powerful and healing name we pray and all God's people said. Amen.